Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, write your word upon our hearts that we may write your word through our lives. Amen. In March, I flunked time management. It did not make any sense for me to go to an overnight conference in Bluefield, West Virginia. Only a week before, I would have returned from a 10-day trip to Israel. The Bluefield conference was on a Friday and a Saturday, and at 4.15 on the following Sunday, Suzanne Fisher was to pick me up from my house so we could catch a flight to the Dominican Republic for the dedication of the hospital that this church helped build, the pictures of which you saw put up on the wall just a little while ago. That flight did not leave till 6 o'clock, but that morning, Suzanne was like her father, Bob, who used to lead our Dominican mission trips. If you're not ridiculously early, you're inexcusably late. <laughs> I'm not complaining. I'm absent-minded that I could get in and out of the country with wallet, passport, and a gift for Millie, which largely due to Suzanne, so thank you. So why squeeze in a conference to Bluefield, West Virginia, between those international trips? It was not a preacher's conference. It was a writer's conference. It was a Christian conference, but it was not a church conference. It had good speakers lined up like Miroslav Wolf, Esau McCauley, Catherine Patterson, and Hannah Anderson. But I was going alone and wouldn't know many others attending. It turned out I didn't know anybody else attending. With the nearest airport serving Bluefield being the one that sits in Roanoke, Virginia, it was a long and windy drive to get there and back. I think it was that the conference didn't make immediate sense is what made it make sense to me. I was intrigued about being with writers talking about writing at a conference that was faith-based but not church-based. A conference at an economically devastated city that is hard to get to but which for some reason 400 people wanted to get to to attend a conference organized by a Pentecostal minister who invited speakers ranging from mainline seminary professors to children's authors to podcast celebrities, a conference that would take more time away from my family, but one which my wife thought I would enjoy attending. And so I wanted to make sense of a conference that did not make sense. I am glad I went. I hope to go again next year, and maybe one of you who enjoy writing might go with me so I won't be having dinner alone at the vault downtown. 
But it was exhilarating to be at a conference filled with people ranging from Pentecostalists to liberal academics, from novelists to bloggers, from churched people to the spiritual but not religious, all of whom for one blessed weekend did not care or talk about ideological differences or denominational issues, but just wanted to explore how to find words to give voice to the word that they have heard in their lives and are trying to understand. That's what my sermon is about today. I want us to consider the word. Throughout the Bible, the book that we have called the word of God, this idea that God is encountered in the word, in words, in writing, keeps coming up over again, over and over again. We had one example in our affirmation of faith from the beginning of John's gospel. Let's hear from others. Genesis 1. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be. And then it goes from there. There was. Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who from now on die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labors and their deeds do follow them. And elsewhere, it is said in Revelation, their stories will be written in the book of life. A third passage is not listed in your bulletin. It's from 2 Corinthians 3 when Paul says, You yourselves are letters written on our hearts, known and read by all, And you show that you are a letter of Christ, prepared by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets that are human hearts. And then I chose the passage from Colossians because it suggests an answer to the question, if our lives are to be letters written in the world, what should be written? Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Just read four passages. Maybe I should have said the words of the Lord. But no, really, the Bible speaks of a word beneath the words. The vocal cords of God, we sometimes say, is the Holy Spirit speaking. We mean something different by this word of God from what it is that we're saying when we call the Bible the word of God. 
The word of God that we are speaking of, that the Bible is speaking of, is not some kind of fixed thing that can be captured on paper, memorized and repeated. The Bible speaks of the word in a way that is dynamic, living, something that can be pointed to by words but cannot be captured by words. It speaks of a word that is still being written, a story that is still being told. When Millie and I lived in Kingsport, Tennessee, we would attend the storytelling festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee. And there would be at that festival six huge tents out in fields, each tent covering a stage and hundreds of chairs. Now, you'd think this might be overkill, but this was a really popular festival. Thousands of people went. Millie and I would have to rush from one tent to the other in the hopes that we would find chairs under the tent and not out the side and out in the sun. On one stage would be Donald Davis telling stories from his childhood, such as when Leanna and Lucy Leatherwood would clog up the party line with their gossip. When Davis was done, we would rush to get to another stage where Ed Stivender would tell about growing up Catholic and asking if we could tell. And yes, when he talked about being a boy and figuring out what sins or how many sins he'd have to tell and which one just to get away from the priest, we knew he grew up Catholic. And when Stivender was done, we would rush to hear Ray Hicks tell Jack tales with a thick Appalachian dialect that we struggled to understand. We'll hear the beginning of Genesis, that first chapter, and it's almost as if Genesis is a storyteller who just walked out on one of those stages. Genesis introduces itself by saying it is going to tell the story of how God created the heavens and the earth. And then Genesis begins, and it turns out that this story is about how God creates the heavens and the earth by telling a story. And God said, let there be. And as God speaks, things happen. It happens that way with storytellers, good ones. They tell their stories and this whole world is created in your head. But something of the same happens here. God starts talking and a world happens. And God said, let there be, and light is separated from darkness, water is separated from land, stars are placed in the sky, creatures are made which swim, crawl, and fly, and then humans are made in God's own image. That's the first story, chapter one. God speaks the universe into being. Creation is the story God is telling. How can we possibly think that the word can be fixed, that it can be captured on paper, memorized and stored away when the universe keeps to this day expanding as God keeps telling, when life is what happens while God is writing? If God stops telling, the world stops happening. The past is finished and gone and nothing can become new. And so God keeps speaking and the word keeps living. Good thing that the story of creation continues to be told, that light still comes down, that water still flows, that plants can grow. But even as the story of creation continues to be told, there are sequels or there are stories that are told within the story. Millie and I are watching a sequel on TV right now. 
We watched the series Smigadoon about a year or two ago, and now we're watching season two called Chicago. I got that right. You should have heard me butcher that in the first service. Chicago is a sequel in that it's just like Schmigadoon. Both series have a couple trapped in a land of musicals. But the two series are also different. In Schmigadoon, they're trapped in a land where the musicals are light and happy, like Brigadoon and Music Man in Oklahoma. In Chicago, they are trapped in the land where musicals are dark and full of angst, like Chicago, Sweeney Todd, and Jesus Christ Superstar. Where John's gospel presents a sequel to the beginning of Genesis, to Genesis chapter 1, where God speaks creation into existence. John also tells a story about the Word, about God speaking and a things happening. This time, though, the story is not about creation. It's about redemption. It is not the bright story of stars being placed in the sky and animals roaming the earth, but about a deep wound in humanity that needs to be healed. It's not that God got it wrong the first time, that God did not do a good job the first time, The creation story is still being told. The creation story is not broken. It is fine. Whether or not the human race survives is of no concern to energy and matter, to light and dark. The stars will sit and planets spin after we are gone, just as they did before. What is broken is not about physics. It's about the unseen kingdom of God where what is moral and ethical matters. We are broken as a people. We are broken as communities. And a story of history needs to be told within the story of creation. The rest of the Old Testament is about stories of brokenness and healing. But the New Testament is a sequel that retells the story of Genesis chapter 1, in a way that makes those who hear it see and hear life in a whole different way. In John's sequel, the focus is not on creation. The focus is on human life and human community. In the beginning was the Word, the gospel begins, just like Genesis 1. The Word was with God. That is, this Word is the story that God has to tell. And this Word was God which is to say that the story God has to tell is true and it's personal. And this time, the story is about God writing a life. The word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And then the rest of John's gospel tells how God writes a life among us. It presents Jesus as God's pen. As Jesus teaches about God's love, as Jesus shows compassion to and stands up for those who are outcasts, as he creates community, as he lives true to what it means to follow God, even when it comes at the cost of his life. And then as the story ends with a new beginning, with the discovery of an empty tomb, God is writing life. And because the tomb is empty, the story continues to be written. The story of the creation of the universe helps us understand our place, our biological place 
in the universe of matter and energy. But the word that is fleshed out in Jesus is about how God wants us to live in this world, whether or not we biologically survive or struggle, whether or not we live or die. It's the story that you cannot find in a rock that you can only find from a word that comes from outside creation, a word that comes from God that tells us that it matters how we live and it matters how we treat others. The wrongs we do, they wound. Not the universe. They wound God because they wound the human community. And how we heal matters too. If you ask a decent storyteller why her stories are told, it might be simply to entertain us or perhaps to earn a living. But if you ask what I think are really great storytellers why their stories are told, they would say something like this. I want those who hear my stories to hear their stories in mine. That is what Paul is saying about the story that God continues to tell in the living Jesus. He wants us to find our story in his story, our story in the redemption story that God continues to tell. Really, he wants Jesus' story in some way to be told in the way that we live our lives, told in the way that we are pens that write the story of redemption. Revelation has a more dramatic way of putting this when it says that when we die, our works do follow us. This isn't about works righteousness. It's to say that how we live our lives matters in God's kingdom. It matters so much that it's entered into the book of life. You can hear in that a judgment, but I think what it really is is more a simple statement of the truth. That how we live makes a witness, whether it's a good witness or a bad one, whether it heals or hurts, whether we like it or not. How we live tells a story that gets recorded in very human and real ways. I guess the real question is whether the story that you're going to tell with your life, the story that I'm going to tell with my life, the real question is, is it going to be a sequel or not? Will our lives be used by God as pens to write stories that somehow retell the story that God is telling right now in Jesus? That's something we all need to think about as those who follow Jesus because it's going to be different for each one of us. I will say this, though. The Bible knows that so much of our lives are beyond our control. I mean, chance and opportunity play big roles in just how much of a difference anybody can make. That's why in the Bible, God makes few demands of slaves and great demands of pharaohs. That's why it matters in the Bible more about how the healthy treat the sick, the rich treat the poor, the managers treat their workers. That's why more is expected of those who have privilege and power and opportunity than those who have more reason to do what needs to be done in order to survive, to feed themselves and their families. But that said, the question that is asked of all of us at whatever level that we are capable of answering with our lives is this, what's the story we're telling? 
And is it a sequel to the story that Jesus tells in Christ? Will the story be heard through who we are and how we live or not? It's not a question of how successful we are. It's not even a question of how successful we are in doing good in the world. Again, chance, opportunity, and freedom play huge roles in how much good we're even allowed to do. The question is really about who we are, how within what is possible for us we're going to live. What witness will we make as we write the chapter that is our life? Again, we all need to answer that question in individual ways, but Paul does provide a really wonderful general answer, doesn't he? In 2 Corinthians that we heard about in the children's sermon read earlier, you would do well to go back and read the passage, but I hear Paul saying that you should try to live in a way that respects the dignity of each other. If there are problems among us, if there are divisions between us, we need to try to work it out in the way that Jesus would work it out. That is, let forgiveness be a part of how we work it out. And above everything else, live according to the law of love and keep Christ's peace in your hearts. What that means requires a month of Sundays of preaching, but... That's what's being asked of all of us. And then Paul says, and I'm not paraphrasing here, let the word, there it is again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, become pens that write stories where the story of Jesus is retold. Martin Luther famously said that Satan hates pens that write the story of reconciliation because they erase the story he's trying to tell. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.